Hello and welcome to the Nationals Business Podcast from the offices in Abu Dhabi. Today we've got a packed studio for you. There's me, Andy Scott. We've got Mustafa Al-Rawi, the business editor. We've got Michael Fahi, who's our property correspondent, and Marwan, our producer. We're talking today about the property rental market in Dubai. It, it's been, there's been a report out this week saying it's falling yet again. That's why Michael's here. Let's just get a quick up, uh, update on how far it's fallen and why it's falling. Michael, give us an idea. Well, we've had a series of reports recently suggesting that we are getting close to the bottom of the market or we are at the bottom of the market. Um, the report this week from FIDAR Advisory suggests that we're not quite there yet and may not be for a while. Um, the reasoning that was put by FIDAR is that rents are still continuing to decline and in fact are showing evidence of a steeper decline in recent months than they have been in the past few months. So you're saying that they're dropping quicker? Yeah. Uh, FIDAR said since the top of the market in May 2014, rents have fallen by a compound rate of approximately 0.3% a month. But in the last month, um, rates have dropped by 1.3%, so it's a sizable difference. And what's what, what's creating the fall? It seems to be market confidence. Um, the supply of new homes coming into the market has been quite steady over the past few years, despite a lot of talk about supply rocketing. The amount of new units that have been delivered has stayed constant at about 20,000 per year. The difference seems to be that it's just generally weaker market sentiment. It seems to be uh, due to weaker demand. There's been anecdotal evidence of job losses in the market. Um, supplies, as I've said, has just has remained quite constant. So it's down to the fact that um, not enough companies are not creating enough new posts to fill the new units that are coming onto the market. But Mustafa, it was only two weeks ago, I think, that we'd called the bottom of the market. Wasn't that so? Well, I think we, like everybody else, we avoided actually calling it the bottom. Of course. We said it's near the bottom. But interestingly, our our editor-in-chief was was asking me the other day, he said, it seems like our property coverage has been really positive lately. Is it only positive? And, And so I kind of was explaining that actually... Um, you know, the brokers and the analysts at the beginning of the year weren't shy about saying there was a slowdown. I think everybody was confident enough that there was a lack of confidence. However, this report from FIDAR has come out and, and been quite contrarian and saying, OK, everyone's saying that we're near the bottom of the market. However, we still think there's pain to come. And perhaps those that were saying we're near at the bottom say, well, we never said there wouldn't be, you know, more of a fall, just that perhaps... Um, you know, we're near the near the bottom of the cycle and things should be able to pick up soon. So certainly um, w- they're not mutually exclusive. Do, and, and the question I have really that, that probably everybody is going to be thinking about over the, ne- the quiet summer months is, OK, if we are near bottom or even if there's a little bit more pain to come, when will things turn the other way? And we've talked a lot about drivers for growth and you know, Saudi Arabia and, and, and uh, oil prices. And, you know, we had that report from the IEA the other day saying that perhaps stockpiles globally have crewed aren't as high as we thought they were. Demand's looking a bit better than we forecast. And then, of course, we've got, you know, Expo 2020 on the horizon, Iran, you know, lots of drivers for growth. So why wouldn't property pick up uh, sooner rather than later? So I think we're allowed to remain to be, you know, fairly optimistic that it, perhaps there's not a lot more pain to come 
And is Finar and other people, Michael, what have you been hearing? Are they saying that, um, you know, that there is a lot more pain to come or is it just a matter of we have to be patient? Yeah, um, Fida's view very much is that there is more pain to come. Uh, their prediction at the start of this year was that there would be a 20% decline over the next two years. Um, they're sticking to that. So, yeah, they are saying that there is more pain to come, that um, there is still liquidity concerns in the market. There's still not a great deal of buyers around. Well, that sounds positively negative, I think. Yeah, that's true. OK, well, let's leave uh, the property market there because I have some good news. And, uh, well, I say good news when it's um, from A.T. Kearney, a report that came out only yesterday. Uh, they put out a, a global retail report every year. This year, the UAE held its place at seventh um, amongst uh, the top 20 nations uh, of retailing growth. However, the big mover was Saudi Arabia. We've banged on for weeks about Saudi, and now we've finally got it in black and white. They moved up from 18th to 8th, of a massive 10, 10 places, on the strength 5.4% growth every year in the retailing uh, arena. And it really does seem now that Saudi has become the behemoth of the region for retail. We, we, like you said, we've talked a lot about this and there, there was more developments this week. Uh, the cabinet in Saudi Arabia approved the 100% ownership uh, law in uh, re the retail sector, as well as the white tax uh, on empty land to encourage the property market. And certainly if, you know, consultants like A.T. Kearney are putting it out there that Saudi is a fast-growing, up-and-coming retail market, then it's more than likely that that's the case, or at least going to be the case soon. Can, you know, for us here in Abu Dhabi, in the UAE, in Dubai, in the Northern Emirates, can that translate into enough growth to sustain us if our property market, our retail market is soft? Um, and if it does, then, you know, can that translate back into into further growth here in the UAE. I think a lot is riding on what happens in Saudi Arabia. But Andy, you know, you're close to the Majid Al Fatames, the Shell Hoobs, you know, the the big guys in, in the retail sector who've been talking to, about Saudi for some time. Yet perhaps, and I'm not trying to be unkind here, perhaps these guys haven't succeeded outside of the UAE um, compared to how they've succeeded inside the UAE. Probably Al Shaya is the only example of a true um, successful retailer out of its home market, but can Saudi be the difference? Well, I think that I think that you've opened up a can of worms there. With uh, but the fact is, is that, that your main thrust there was, can Saudi keep our growth going? And I think most definitely it can. It's offering uh, it's offering uh, huge opportunities across a huge country. As I said, five point four percent growth sounds fairly uh, conservative considering the size of the country and what the new reforms are offering. The fact is, though, is that it's all domestic. We base a lot of our retail in the UAE on travellers coming through. This is constant traffic for the a huge population, all with a disposable income. So therefore, I think it will be a real driver for our bigger uh, retail concerns. What A.T. Kearney said, though, was that there is a huge chance for SMEs here in the UAE to make hay in Saudi. 
because the uh, the online um, the arena in Saudi is a huge money spinner. The uh, you, more YouTube watched than any other place on the planet. Uh, mobile phone uh, penetration is massive. This is a huge vehicle for growth, and there are some massive movers from very small acorns. There have been some. I won't say massive oaks grown yet, but there is some proper growth from small firms into the kingdom. So therefore, I think this is a real opportunity for our smaller guys to possibly grow because we have become a saturated market. As this report said, it said that there isn't a lot more real growth to be had at the moment, especially with the oil price so low. And the fact is that we haven't had the best of years, but we have still seen growth. So therefore, it's I mean, it really is a positive report, even though the UAE stayed at its level of seven from last year. And the fact is that our neighbor, the fact is that we share a border. We can easily support a lot of growth into the kingdom, I think. Anecdotally, I I believe that, you know, online commerce, e-commerce, whatever you want to call it, retailing. I mean, it's retailing, really, but just through another channel. Uh, is is certainly the future everywhere in terms of convenience you, you talk about a big country a big population and perhaps they aren't you know it isn't going to be the same sort of high-end luxury everyday shopping that um that we, that we tend to see in, in the likes of dubai mall and mall of the emirates here um uh, but perhaps it could be everyday stuff that you know there just hasn't been that supply there f- to service such a big market um you know anecdotally um you know i'll give you an example i have to buy stuff for my son's pet tortoises you know that it's uh, do i really want to spend an hour driving to and from the only pet store in abu dhabi to get that done no i'm going to make an online purchase for that and have it delivered once a month how many other people are in that position? Perhaps not with tortoises, but you know, with certain other other things. Well, it's going to be slow if it's a tortoise anyway. It, but, uh, slow <laughs> growth, they, yes. they say, if it's tortoise. Yes. Well, look, can I just interject there? You, I mean, that Saudi obviously is a, an opportunity, but I, I noticed today that uh, the MSCI decided not to upgrade them on their uh, on their stock market uh, listing. To emerging market status. Emerging mean, market, yeah. yeah, from frontier. That suggests that while there is a lot of goodwill there. It is still not uh, the land of milk and honey that we are all hoping at the moment. I think it, it, it's it's you're right to a certain extent, but it's also look at it from the other the other way, which is that MSCI owes um, uh, keep maintaining the standards for what it includes in emerging markets to the huge fund managers that track those indexes, because you're sitting in New York. And uh, the the prospect of having to funnel your billions into Saudi Arabia, which you have to do because you're tracking these indexes uh, related to emerging markets, can be a frightening thought. And it took a long time uh, to get the UAE and Qatar in, not just because of the technical changes that had to be done in terms of settlement dates and other things and liquidity and foreign ownership rules, but also to convince those emerging market fund managers that, you know, Qatar and the UAE were, you know, not the Wild West. So I think there is a certain amount of time that needs to be taken to give those guys that confidence. And the way the Saudi government is going, I think that's only a matter of time. Well, I also noticed that there was a problem, or sorry, problem is the wrong word, but Saudi Airlines have decided to rejig their board, um, which again, Saudi Airlines has it, it, let's just say it's a it's a government-run entity, and it needs to be streamlined if it is to make any sort of uh, headway. As uh, I think famously Richard Branson said, "How do you become a millionaire?" He said, "Be a billionaire and buy an airline." Um, the fact is, 
that Saudi Airlines is also under scrutiny now as well. Shireen Al-Ghazar, our aviation correspondent in today in The National, um, wrote this, that story. And, and she, there's a great quote in it from one of the analysts that says, you know, maybe Saudi Airlines will go and do a Turkish Airlines or an Emirates Airlines, basically implying that uh, it's a country that has the potential to become a real hub. If you think about the traffic that's going in and out, the size of the country, as you mentioned, the number of domestic cities that they've got people wanting to go to between Jeddah and Riyadh and elsewhere. Uh, so, you know, it has that potential. But up until now, it's been not particularly ambitious about these things. I mean, they've been happy to be the Saudi airline. You hear lots of anecdotal stories about, you know, they can't fill business in first class just in case one of the princes in his entourage shows up. You know, the amount of companies actually using royal air miles for their corporate trips because they get so many you know and then you talk about infrastructure issues the airports aren't always great they're building new ones of course and they're investing so there is so much potential i hope this time next year we're not just saying potential andy i, uh, and I don't i don't think we will be and i'm glad you just mentioned airlines and taxes last last point i think Abu Dhabi have just brought in a new tax, is that right, on their airline? Yeah, we, we believe in taxes here, I think. We think taxes, fees. Are, the, taxes fees are the future. Are more fees, sorry. Taxes are the future. They're inevitability. But there is a new fee, isn't there? Yeah, there is. 35 dirhams, uh, with, I think it'll be levied on your ticket, so you won't actually really see it. And it follows Dubai and Sharjah doing the same thing. Uh, what we don't know is where it's going to. Dubai was very clear saying this would help with uh, building up the airport infrastructure, which they need because they're close to capacity um, at Dubai International. However, we hope to get some clarity next week uh, from Abu Dhabi airports on, on where this extra money will be going to. I thank you for that. Thank you, uh, Mustafa. Thank you, Marwan. Thank you, Michael. It was the three M's. Have a good week. 